Good afternoon, dear brothers and sisters. It is a great pleasure for me to be back to Melbourne after some years and see you again here this afternoon. It has been suggested to have two meetings, uh, two addresses on the Christian family, or to be more precise, the first meeting on the Christian marriage and the second one on the Christian marriage. And I would like to start reading one verse from the letter of James. Chapter 1. James, chapter 1, verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. If we think about Christian marriage, if we think about the Christian family, we can say these are two real blessings, blessings that come from above. It's God himself who has given us marriage as a blessing. It is God himself who gives us children. They are a gift of his grace. Both have their origin already in the paradise when God established marriage to Adam and Eve and when he told them to multiply and to be fruitful. These are still two gifts that we have and God gave them right in the beginning. Now when God gives us a blessing, there is always or there should always be a twofold reaction on our side. The first reaction when God gives us a blessing should be thankfulness. And we should be really thankful for that wonderful gift of marriage and family. Because it is really a great joy if we live our married life, our family life, according to the good thoughts and idea, the counsel and plan of God. This is one side of the coin, to be really grateful. And those here among us this afternoon who are married, we should really be grateful for the partner God has given us and we should also express our thankfulness in our prayers. But there is of course another side of that coin. When God gives us a blessing, normally he also puts us under responsibility and it is also a responsibility, it is a great responsibility and sometimes it is a challenge to be married and to have children. And we would just like this afternoon in these two uh, meetings, in these two addresses, have a look at what God has to say about marriage and family. This great blessing and at the same time this great responsibility. Let us first of all turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10.
Mark chapter 10, as of verse 2. There were Pharisees coming to him, asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? But he, Jesus, answering, said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed to write a bill of divorce and to put away. And Jesus answered, said to them, In view of your hard hardness, wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So that there are no longer two, that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 13, And they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But Jesus, seeing it, was indignant and said to them, Suffer the little children to come to me, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 16, And having taken them in his arms, having laid his hands on them, he blessed them. In this passage, we see that the Lord Jesus himself speaks about marriage and about family. The Lord Jesus confirms what we get in Genesis chapter 2 when marriage was established in saying that God made them male and female and that the two shall be united, husband and wife, they shall be one flesh. And the Lord Jesus also talks about the little children. He takes or he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. And he says, let the little children come to me. Now, the Lord Jesus himself speaks about marriage and the Lord Jesus speaks about family. Now, what is a marriage? A marriage is a wonderful union between husband and wife. We have read that, or we will read that in Genesis chapter 2. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we read verse 24, which is like the constitution of, of marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked man and wife and were not ashamed. Now this really sets the foundation of every marriage. It is a union, a wonderful unity of a man and a wife, a male and a female. God puts them together. That is God's great idea, a wonderful unity. A man shall leave his father and his mother. A new independent unity start, starts to exist, man and wife. A wonderful unity, a unity of life, a unity of love, 
and the unity of ministry. I repeat, marriage is a wonderful unity of life, lifetime. It is a wonderful unity of love. We are put together with love and by love. And it is also a unity of ministry. And it comprises the whole man, the whole human being. We are composed of spirit, of soul, and of body. And marriage is a unity of spirit, it is a unity of soul, and it is also a physical unity, a unity of body. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we have read in Mark 10, confirms this wonderful unity. And in Mark 10 we learn that it is impossible to divorce this unity. Divorce is no option for a Christian. This is what we learn in Mark 10, where this verse, Genesis 2, is quoted for the first time in the New Testament. This verse is quoted a second time in 1 Corinthians 6, and we would just like to read that verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul speaks about fornication and the impossibility of fornication. And he says in verse 16, Do you not know that he that is joined to the heart is one body? For the two, he says, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. This is the second time in the New Testament where this verse from Genesis 2 is quoted. And the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in order to show that fornication, sexual intercourse, not within marriage, is an impossibility for a, for a Christian. He says, the one who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. He does not say he is one flesh with her, but one body. God's idea in marriage is one body. Goal, soul, spirit, soul, and body. So that is God's idea, one flesh. But having sexual intercourse, not within the frame of marriage, is not one body, is not one flesh, but it is just one body. It is just a physical union but not a total union of spirit, soul, and body. But this is God's idea of marriage. We should be really one, a unity. A unity of spirit or ghost, that means we are able to communicate one with another. By the way, this is the distinguishing part between a human being and an animal. An animal has a soul and a body, but no spirit. We do have a spirit. We do have a, the intelligence. We are able to communicate as human beings. We can communicate with God. We will refer to that later on. 
and we can communicate one with the other. And it is important in our married life that we have a very good communication, that we talk, that we exchange ideas, opinions. That is a unity of, of spirit. But it's not only that, it's also a unity of soul. And the soul has to do with our emotions, with our feelings. And it is ever so important that in our married life we have this unity, this communication on the level of our emotions, of our feeling, of our soul. And of course the third one that is very easy, that is to be also bodily a unity to come together and to have sexual intercourse. There is a frame, a protecting fence for sexual intercourse and this protecting fence is marriage. God doesn't allow sexual intercourse out of, outside this fence of marriage. This is always a sin. There is a third time that this verse is quoted in the New Testament, and that is Ephesians 5, and we would also like, like to read this verse. This is most probably the most well-known quotation of this verse in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Because of this a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is great, but I speak as to Christ and to the assembly. Now the union of marriage is a, an earthly one and it is a, temporal, a temporary one, but it speaks of this wonderful unity between Christ and his church, Christ as and his assembly. This earthly relationship, marriage, speaks of the heavenly relationship of Christ and his church. And this temporary relationship of marriage speaks of this eternal relationship of Christ and his church. And that lifts up marriage to a very high level. Our marriages should be, and in the eyes of God they are, an image, a picture, an illustration of that wonderful unity between Christ and his assembly. Now the word of God, the Bible, gives us a lot of instruction about marriage. We have already seen The book of Genesis speaks about it. We find it in the Gospels. We find it in the epistles of the New Testament. Nearly everywhere in the Bible we get some information about marriage. We get instruction. We get teaching. But the Word of God also contains a lot of examples of couples who were married. And I would suggest this afternoon to have a look at some of these couples in the Bible and the lessons we can learn 
There are a lot of lessons to learn if we consider the examples of couples in the Bible. There are encouraging examples, motivating examples, but there are also serious warnings because we get some couples who made serious mistakes. So let us have a look at some of these couples. This is, these are just some examples. There are many more. You can study them at home or together. Uh, just some suggestions from some of the couples that we find in the Bible. Now the first couple that we get, of course, that is Adam and Eve in the paradise when God created them. And there is a first very important lesson to learn. And the lesson we learn studying Adam and Eve is the lesson that man husband and wife, man, male and female, are different. That is a very important first lesson to learn. We are different. Let us read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Jehovah Elohim formed man dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Verse 21, And Jehovah Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up flesh in its stead. And Jehovah Elohim built the rib that he had taken from man into a woman and brought her to man. And man said, This time it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This shall be called woman, because this was taken out of man. Now we as Christians believe in a creator God. We know that God has created heaven and earth, and we know that God has created man and woman. We, don't, we do not believe in evolution or any things like this. God is the creator. He has created us and he has built us. These are two expressions that are used. That God has created us gives us an impression of the almightiness of God and that God has built us gives us an impression of the wisdom of God. Now God has created us, male and female, with great wisdom. Imagine just for one moment there were only males in this world. I think it would be rather boring, wouldn't it? Oh, imagine for a moment there were only females in the world. I think it would be rather loud, wouldn't it? No, we are different. But this is a very important thing to know, that men and women, male and female, are different. Different in character, not different in worth. There is no difference in value. That is very important to realize. Sometimes we Christians are blamed for that, that we teach that there is a difference in worth or value between male and female, but this is not true. 
our value is exactly the same. But in character, we are different. And I repeat, this is important to know, particularly when we are young married, when we are young. We have to realize and to recognize and to admit that there are big differences between men and women. A husband is different from his wife in character. And this is according to the will of God. We have read how God made man. He made man out of the dust. And we have read how he made Eve. He made her out of the rib of Adam. And this already gives us an indication of how we are different. Generally speaking, men are more rationalists made out of dust. They have more connection to the earthly things. Whereas our dear sisters, they are made out of the rib of Adam. And the rib that is not far away from the heart. So normally and generally, women are more emotional than men. That is, by the way, the reason why they talk more about relationship than men do. That is in our nature. God has given us a different nature, a different character. Or to put it in a modern word, we have got a different software. We are functioning differently. And I repeat, this is important to know. I would like to use an illustration in order to, to make that clear. Um, we can compare a man with a chest of drawers. You see, a chest of drawers is a piece of furniture which has different drawers and you can open and close them separately. This is the way we men are functioning. We have different drawers and we open and close them separately. One drawer is our job. We start our job in the morning, we open the drawer, in the evening we close it. One drawer is family. One drawer is hobby. One drawer is sexuality. We are able to open that drawer and to close it again. Now, I would like to compare our dear sisters with the wardrobe, with just one door. You can open it completely and you can close it completely, but you cannot open it separately. That is, this is impossible. This is because our dear sisters are more emotional. You can just open them completely or close it completely. This possibility that we have, we men have, to open the drawers separately and to close them separate, separately, most women cannot do that. The same, by the way, is valid when it comes to sexuality. We are functioning very, very differently when it comes to sexuality. Let us not forget this. Now, when I was, I, when I got married nearly 40 years ago, I was rather young, my wife was rather uh, young, and I have to admit, we didn't know very much about these differences. I knew a little bit because I had a sister um, at home, and my wife had a brother at home, but we were not aware of the differences between 
man and woman. And that caused a lot of problems. So it's good to know that, to study that. And the first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve, they give us this lesson that woman and man, female and male, are not the same. I repeat, same value, yes, but not same character. And it is important to know that and to realize that. And the more we know it, the easier it is to understand the reaction of our husband or our wife in certain situations. We might have all have that experience that all of a sudden our wife starts to cry and to creep, to cry. And we, as men, we ask ourselves, why, why? We don't understand why. And maybe we, maybe we react in a wrong way. But let us not forget, our dear wives, they are much more emotional than we are. And so all of a sudden they start to cry. Maybe we think without reason, but they think they have a good reason to do so. So we need understanding one for the other. This is very, very important. Let us not forget in the New Testament, our dear wives are called the weaker vessel. Let us maybe just read this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we are exhorted as husbands, ye husbands likewise dwell with them, your wife, according to knowledge, as with a weaker, even the female vessel, giving them honor. A weaker vessel. What does it mean? Less value? No, it is not a question of value. A weak vessel is not a strong vessel, but it's not less valuable. It depends of what you want to do with the vessel. I like to use another illustration. There are some Germans who like to drink beer. And there are others who like to drink tea. Now imagine somebody would like to drink a beer. Would he use a teacup to drink beer out of it? Never ever. Now imagine he would like to drink a cup of tea. Would he use a beer mug and put the tea in? Never ever. It depends on the use. If you want to drink tea, you use a teacup, a thin tub, a weaker vessel. But if you want to drink a beer or another drink, whatever, water, you use another vessel. You, 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 you use a, a bigger mug, a stronger vessel. It depends on the use. That is the weaker vessel. And because our dear sisters are more emotional, they are more vulnerable, they are called the weaker vessels. And we husbands should likewise dwell with them according to knowledge. We should know that our dear sisters, our dear wives are the weaker vessel and we should even give them honor. We, shall, we should always help them.
Now that is the first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve, and that is the first lesson we want to learn. We are different, and God has made us different and has given us a different software, so to say. The second example is Abraham and his wife Sarah. And I would just like to read from Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham in verse 2, Go out of thy land to the land that I will show thee. And then we read in verse 5, And Abram took Zarai, his wife, and they went out to go into the land of Canaan. If we consider this couple, Abraham and Sarah, we could make a lot of applications. There are a lot of lessons to learn, but I would just like to point out this one lesson which is very important, that is that man has got the responsibility to be the leader. Abraham took his wife and his wife followed him. Leadership, that is God's idea. He has made us different, we have already seen that, and he has given us a different responsibility and a different task. And it is God's idea that man, that has the husband, should be the head. Now the head does not mean that the husband is the boss or the director. But the, 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 the leadership means that man has the responsibility to give control, to give direction, to be really a good head that gives direction to the body as the Lord Jesus Christ is head of the assembly. We have this illustration in Ephesians 5 where husbands should be head like Christ is head over the assembly. And it is Abraham here who took his wife and they went out and Sarah followed him. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read that Sarah accepted Abraham even as her Lord. She accepted that he was the head and she honored her husband in following his directions. Now that has a very practical application to our marriages. The husband is the head and he should be respected. The New Testament tells us at, at least three or four times that wives should be submissive. They should be subdued to her husband. Again, I repeat, this does not mean that the husband is the boss or the director and that the wives are just doing what the husband is telling. No, it is a unity, as we have seen, of life, love and ministry. But yet the direction comes from the head. And this is, dear husbands, our 
responsibility and it is your responsibility, dear wives, to respect the fact that God made the husband the head of the couple, of the married couple, and to follow the direction that the husband gives, following, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is one great need of every husband, and it is important for you, dear sisters, to know the great need of the husband. We will later talk about the need of the wives. They also have one great need. But there is one great need for every husband, for every husband, and that is to be respected. And for this very reason, the New Testament tells the wives several times to submit to their husbands. That does not mean that a wife should not give advice to her husband. And the very example of Abraham and Sarah makes that very clear. And I would just like to read two verses. Genesis 16. God had promised a child to Abraham and Sarah, but she was not pregnant. There was no baby. And then we read, Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now Jehovah has shut me up, that I do not bear. Go in, I pray thee, to my maid servant. It may be that I shall be built up by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Sarah gave an advice. And it was a bad advice. And Abraham followed this advice. And there was a lot of sorrow in the family of Abraham and Sarah because he heard to what Sarah told him. But if we turn to chapter 21, we have the opposite thing. We have another advice of Sarai in verse 10. She said to Abraham, Cast out this handmaid that was Hagar and her son, for the son of this handmaid shall not inherit with my son, with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. So he didn't want to follow the advice of Sarah again. But then we read, God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy handmaid, in all that Sarah hath said to thee, hearken to her voice, for in Isaac shall a seed be called to thee. So we see two advices. One was a good advice, the second one, and one was a bad device, uh, advice, the first one. Abraham followed the bad advice, and as a result, there was a lot of sorrow and trouble in his family, but then the second time, God had to tell him, listen to Abraham. I would encourage you, dear sisters, to give good advices to your husbands. We are in need of good advice. And it is also good that we, as husbands, ask our wife to give us advice. But then we, as husbands, have the responsibility to really figure out whether this advice is a good advice or whether it is not 
a good advice. But generally speaking, it is good and it is needful to have advice. So that is the great lesson we could learn from Abraham and Sarah. Leadership is the responsibility of the husband, but a good wife will give a good advice. Let's turn to a third example, that is Isaac and his wife Rebecca. And we read from Genesis chapter 24. I just read the last verse. And Isaac led her into his mother's Sarah's tent, and he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Now here we read about love. Isaac loved Rebecca, and that is the great lesson that we can take out of this third example. We have read in Genesis 2 that husband and wife should cleave together or should cling together, are fitted together. I like the word they are glued together. It is like one, like two leaves who are glued together and who become one leaf. That is the idea of the word, to cleave. Now what has glued us together when God puts husband and wife together, this union, this unity? The glue is love. And here we find the word love in connection with marriage. It is the second time, by the way, that the word love is mentioned in the Bible. The first time is Genesis 22, when we read about the love of Abraham to Isaac. We will consider this verse in our second address. But here it is the second time love is mentioned, and we see that Isaac loved Rebecca. So we should be united together in love. We are glued together. By the way, we are not screwed together, but we are glued together. That is a big difference, isn't it? If you take two boards and you screw them together, they will form a unity. But it is comparatively easy to unscrew these two boards again and then you get two boards again. If you take two pieces of paper and you glue them together, it is impossible to separate them again or you will destroy everything. And this is exactly what will happen when a marriage is divorced. The whole thing is spoiled. We are glued together, but we are not screwed together. And here we read that Isaac loved his wife. Now, I have been speaking about the great need of a husband. He wants to be respected. Now, there is one great need for our dear sisters. They want to be loved. And it is our responsibility as husbands to love our wives. Now, what does it mean to love our wife? What does it mean to love somebody? We know the word love is used for everything and nothing in this world. 
But when we read about love in the Bible, we get something that is very precious for our hearts. If we really want to know what love is, we have to consider God's love. And the New Testament exhorts us husbands to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Now, how has Christ loved the church? He has given herself for the church. And this is the meaning of true love of a husband for his wife. To be ready to give himself for her. To do everything for his wife that is for her benefit. We should love our wife. I have said that the New Testament repeats several times that the wives should be submitted to her husbands because that is not easy to do so. But at the same time, the New Testament exhorts us, husbands, several times, at least three, maybe even four times, to love our wives because that is our problem. We love a lot of other things, but there is always a great danger and risk that we do not love our wives. And we will never come up to the standard to love our wives like Christ has loved the church. Of course not. That is a very high standard, but yet that is the standard God has given us. And we should try with the help of our Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling us to really love our wives as Christ has loved the church, to do everything that is good, that is needful for our wives. They have this one great desire to be loved. So let us love our wives. That is the great lesson we get from Isaac and Rebecca. Love can be wrong directed. Let us just read one, one other word, uh, one other verse in chapter 25, Genesis 25. There we read in verse 28 a very serious word. There it says, Isaac loved Esau because venison was to his taste, and Rebekah loved Jacob. You see, they started very well. Isaac loved Rebecca. A good start, a very good start. But they didn't finish well. When these two children were born, we get this serious admonishment, Isaac, or statement, Isaac loved Esau. It is no more said that he loved his wife. He loved his oldest son because of egoistic reasons. And Rebecca loved Jacob, also of egoistic reasons. So love can also be wrong directed. We can have a good start, but that is not a guarantee that we will finish in the same way. Let us turn to a fourth example in the book of Exodus, chapter 2. The parents of Moses, Amram and Jochebed. Exodus chapter 2. 
Verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And she saw him that he was fair and hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of reeds and plastered it with resin and with pitch and put the child in it and laid it in a siege on the bank of the river. And we turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 23, by faith, Moses being born was hid three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And then Acts chapter 7. Verse 20. That is part of the speech of Stephen. Acts 7 verse 20. In which time Moses was born and was exceedingly lovely who was nourished three months in the house of his father. Now this is a wonderful couple and an encouraging example. We find them as we have read in Hebrews 11 in that wonderful uh, hall of fame. If a hall of faith, if we may call it like that, these wonderful men and women of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. This couple was characterized by faith. We find their confidence of faith, we find their courage of faith, and we find their energy of faith. And then we see how they reacted concerning the son who was born. We have read these three passages, Exodus 2, Hebrews 11, and Acts 7. And maybe you have realized, in Exodus 2, it is Jochebed who is active. In Acts 7, it is Amram who is active, who is mentioned. And in Hebrews 11, the couple is mentioned, the parents of Moses. That is a wonderful thing. In Exodus, we realize that Moses need to be protected. And that was the charge of the mother. In Acts 7, we see that the child was brought up. And that was the charge, the first charge of his father. He was brought up in the house of his father. And in Hebrews 11, It is a matter of the faith of this couple. And so both are mentioned. They were heroes of the faith. A couple, a married couple. A wonderful unity. Amram and Jochebed. With their responsibilities, their charges that they had, but they worked together. Not one against the other, but they were together. They had one great objective to raise that child and to protect that child and so they did. So, Amram and Jochebed, a wonderful example, an encouraging example for us to live our faith, not only personal, 
but to do it together. Of course, to live by faith is first of all a personal responsibility and it remains a personal responsibility of each of us. But as we see in Hebrews 11, there is a couple who was characterized by faith. And we all live by faith. We don't see the heavenly things with our eyes. We don't see the Lord Jesus who is in heaven with our bodily eyes. We see him with the eyes of our heart, of course, but it is a matter of faith, and not only of personal faith, but also of faith that we might have together. Let us consider a fifth example in the book of Judges. We turn to chapter 13. In this chapter, you get the birth of Samson. And that is a long chapter. We won't read it. You can read it at home. But this chapter speaks of his parents, his father and his mother, Manoah and his wife. And they are another encouraging couple in the Old Testament. And if we read through that chapter at home, we will realize one thing, which is very important for our married life, and that is the two have a good communication. I already said before that we, because we have got a spirit, are able to communicate, to talk, to communicate with God, and to communicate one with the other. And in this chapter here, you get this couple, and they are characterized by three things. First, God spoke to them. Secondly, they spoke to God in prayer. And thirdly, they talked among themselves. And these This, this communication, this threefold communication, is of the greatest importance for our married life. First, God speaks to us. Now we might ask, how does God speak to us in our days? The answer is very easy. This is the book. This is God's book. If we read the Bible, God speaks directly to us. Now, it is important that we read our Bible personally, husband and wife, but I would really like to stress and to underline and to emphasize the importance of reading the Word of God together. It is really important that we, as married couples, listen to what God has to say in His Bible, in His book. That is the revelation of God's will. And we should listen to what God tells us. So let us really encourage each other to read the Bible together, to hear to the voice of God. Secondly, we see that these couple, Manoah and also his wife, they had a relationship that they talked to God. Of course, they did it in a different way than we do it. We have free access. We don't find this free access here. They feared, but the, 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 the essence is they spoke to God. And this again is so important for our married life, that we 
pray together. Let us put it in these very simple words. We have to pray together as a married couple. I know that there are marriages where husband and wife do not pray together. And this is a very serious thing. Of course, we have to have our personal prayer life. That is true. We pray personally. We pray one for the other. Husband for his wife, the wife for her husband. But we should also pray together. And here we have a wonderful example in the Old Testament. Let us pray together. It is really a serious thing. It is a dangerous thing if we are married and we do not pray together. But thirdly then we see that they also talked one to the other. And that is communication. We are able to communicate. Communication means to share something. And of course we know about verbal communications with words, which is very important, but we also know about unverbal, nonverbal communication. And also both kinds of communication are important. Let us have a very brief look at the way the Lord Jesus Christ has communicated with others when he was on earth. Of course, he had used words to communicate. But very often we read, Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at her. Or Jesus looked at them. And very often we read that Jesus touched somebody. These are two very important means of communication, of nonverbal communication. To look at somebody and to touch somebody. And I think it is also important for our married life. Do we look at each other? Sometimes, when I'm together with my wife in a bigger group of people, I just have to look at her and I look into her eyes and I know immediately what she is feeling or what she would like to tell me without words. I just have to look into her eyes and I know immediately her opinion on something. Or she just, just gives me a short touch, sometimes an encouraging touch, and sometimes she says, hey, stop that. It's just, it's just a, a touch, without word. But I understand that communication. We have to practice it in order to be able to understand this kind of communication. This is, by the way, also important when we communicate with children. Here is a little baby. Have you ever talked to that little children, the child? Will he understand what you say? He will not. But he will see the eyes of his mother and he will feel the touch. So when a little baby is born, we cannot communicate by, with words. Impossible. But yet we can communicate with the baby. But we do not do it with words. I'm not saying that words are unimportant. Of course they are important. And we have to communicate. We have to talk when we are married. If we stop talking, that will be the end of a happy marriage. Not communicating is the creeping death of marriage. We have to talk. 
Now, I have said that normally our dear sisters talk more than we husbands do. And maybe sometimes we husbands need an encouragement to talk more. And maybe our wives sometimes should talk a little less. But it is important that both talk, that there is really a good communication. And communication, of course, can be on different levels. There is a first level communication that we do every day, phrases. Good morning, how are you? How was your night? How was it at work? Just phrases that we use. And it's nothing wrong about using these phrases. But if that is our total communication, it is by far not enough. There is another level, a second level of, of communication. We exchange facts. And that is important. We have to ex exchange facts. We come home in the evening and we ask, how was your day? What have you been doing? We exchange facts. And it is important that we do so. But there is a third level. That is the level where we start to evaluate the facts. Not just exchange them, but what do you think about that? What do you think about that? What is your opinion? What is your impression about that? That is exchanging evaluations. And then maybe the highest level of communication, there is the fourth level of communication that is really to exchange feelings. Not just to evaluate something, but to exchange feelings, to exchange emotions. And this is sometimes very difficult. But Yet, to be very well linked together, to be really this one unity, it is important that we also, that we are also able to exchange feelings. You see, we have read in Genesis 2 that Adam and Eve, after they were created and put together, they were naked. Now we know that is because they were innocent and afterwards God gave them clothes. But yet there is a spiritual application. They were naked. There was no secret. They were like an open book. And if we are really able to have a good communication on all these four levels, phrases, facts, evaluations and feelings, we are really like an open book. And the more we are, the better our marriage will be. Let us communicate. My sixth example is in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I have seven examples. Now this is number six. This is Hannah and her husband. I love this example very much because my wife is called Hannah. Now, these two went together to Rama, Elkanah. We read in verse 1, the son of Jeroboam, the son of Eliu, son of Tohu. He had two wives. I don't want to talk about these two wives. And the man went up, verse 2, no, verse 3. The man went up out of the city from year to year to worship 
and to sacrifice to Jehovah of hosts in Silo. There is more to learn in this marriage, but let us just take this positive example. This family, Elkanah and his wife, they went together in order to worship the Lord in Silo. And later on we see that they took little Samuel with them. That is a very easy lesson. Let us appear together in the presence of the Lord. It is wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. Of course, again, this is first of all a personal responsibility to be there where the Lord Jesus Christ would like to gather us around his name. But it is wonderful to come together, to be here as married couples, to be here with our children. And I'm very happy to see the children here this afternoon. It's wonderful to go together into the presence of the Lord and to be blessed together. I repeat, first of all, this is a personal responsibility, but if it is possible to do it together, I know there are situations where it is, it is not possible, but if it is possible to do it together, it is a great, it is a double blessing to do it together, to go in order to worship the Lord Jesus, to bring him our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving, but of course also to listen to what he has to tell us when we are gathered in order to read the word of God. And it is also good to have communication on that. Let us encourage us to come together into the presence of the Lord. And then my last example is out of the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 4. That is the last letter the Apostle Paul has written. And in verse 19, right at the end, we read, Salute Prisca and Aquila. Well, this is a well-known couple, isn't it? Many marriages addresses dwell on this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla. They are mentioned six times in the New Testament. Three times it is Priscilla and Aquila, and three times it is the other way around. We don't want to read these, these verses now, but I would just like to put this as a last example before us. Priscilla and Aquila. And the great lesson we learn from this couple is that it is a great blessing and encouragement to serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. I have said in the beginning, marriage is a unity of life, of love, and of ministry. And of course, again, ministry, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, is first of all a personal responsibility Each of us has to ask himself or herself the question, am I, am, am I a servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ? Would I like to serve him? But again, it is a great blessing if we can do that together. And this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, give us more than one example how we can serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Of course, there are services, ministries that we do, we do them personally. But 
there are many occasions, many opportunities to serve the Lord Jesus Christ together as a married couple. One outstanding example, of course, is to use hospitality. It's much easier to give somebody hospitality, to host somebody as a married couple. I've enjoyed this here in Melbourne when I was here last time. A couple, I could stay with them. Hospitality is one possibility. Uh, these two, Aquila and Priscilla, they were also helping others. They were supporting others in order to grow in faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were hosting the assembly in their house. That is another occasion and possibility for a married couple to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to have something to eat now. Who has prepared that? Only the sisters? Or maybe the couples? I don't know. But that again is another possibility to do something together. Not only in the spiritual sphere, but also in the quite natural things of life. So Aquila and Priscilla, a wonderful and encouraging example to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Joshua at the end of his life, he said to the people of Israel, decide yourself whom you will serve, but me and my house, we want to, we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it was Joshua who was an outstanding servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but at the end of his life he said, we want to serve. Joshua himself, his wife, his family. We know nothing about the family of Joshua apart from this verse. We want to serve the Lord. That is a wonderful thing that we can do as married couples and we can even do it as a family. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Just conclusion, short repetition of what we have seen. We have these seven examples before us. First of all, Adam and Eve teaching us that important lesson that we are different, not different in value, but different in character. We have seen Abraham and his wife Sarah, and we have seen how important leadership is that we as husbands should be really head of our marriages. We have thirdly seen Isaac and Rebecca and the great lesson that love is the important thing that has glued us together, that we should really love each other, but particularly we as husbands should love our wives. We have seen Abraham and Jochebed, uh, Jocke this wonderful couple characterized by common faith. We have seen Samson's parents and the great importance of having a good communication. We have the sixth example, we have had the sixth example, Elkanah and Hannah, to be together in the presence of the Lord and to enjoy the time that we spend together in the meetings. And we have lastly seen Aquila and Priscilla serving the Lord together. Marriage is a wonderful blessing, can be a wonderful blessing. If only we follow the good instructions God is giving us. Thank you for your attention.